welcome to Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. Hello and welcome to another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. I'm your host, Tom Masters, and our guest today is Les Aria, a psychologist with Kaiser Permanente who specializes in treating physio-psychological disorders, persistent pain, and medically unexplained problems. Welcome. Thanks, Tom. Welcome, Les. Les was on our program last week, and he is a head pain psychologist for Northern California Kaiser. He's a pain psychologist, and he and I have gotten known each other quite well over the last year or so. Les contacted me about a year ago because he had run across my work, but had already been doing this type of work for quite a while with lots of success. And it's been fun for me to learn his perspective, and I know it's been interesting for him learning my perspective. And we're on this ongoing journey to keep deepening our perspective, and that's what we're going to discuss a little bit this second part of the show. Um, Les, welcome. Hey, David. Thank you for having me back again. Um, so we've been excited, both of us, about understanding the chronic pain is a solvable problem. It's very self-directed, and it really revolves around feeling safe. I'd like to link that into the work that you and I are doing with our polyvagal group, specifically with Dr. Stephen Porges around the polyvagal theory. So you have been familiar with the polyvagal theory for quite a while, and I really just became introduced to it recently. Could you explain to the audience what the polyvagal theory is, how it originated, and then how why it applies so much to the work that we're doing? Yeah, great. More than happy to. Yes, I've been using it for a while, and uh, and. Summary, the polyvagal theory is a neurophysiological explanation of what our brain does uh, to detect in the environment and also inside of us that if we're safe or not safe. And, um, and very often, a lot of the things that gets us activated or triggered uh, physiologically is um, the brain's way of saying, hey, I'm not safe. And with that said, it tends to activate certain parts of us, like it could produce a panic attack. It, could even produce muscle tension, drop your blood pressure, and even um, sleep apnea. So um, in that polyvagal theory, Stephen Porges talks about a very cool concept he calls neuroception. So neuroception is basically your brain's way of constantly scanning the environment, what goes on inside of you and outside of you, basically searching for any danger signs. And this is just the brain's evolutionary process. So in short, the polyvagal theory is a great framework for patients and providers alike to recognize that when something shows up inside of you that's very powerful, difficult, painful, uh, physically even, it's not so much psychological, it is a neurophysiological response of your brain. Right, and what happens, your body responds with an appropriate neurochemical response to protect yourself which means elevated stress chemicals, muscle tension, rapid heart rate, et cetera, to, to flee. And so what people understand is that your sensory input in the form of thoughts and concepts translates into chemical reaction because right. for a human, consciousness creates the same chemical reaction as a physical threat. Since we can't escape our consciousness, it turns out that the mental pain is actually a bigger problem than the physical pain in treating chronic pain because the response is the same. Can you discuss how the... Um, so I, you know, I went to medical school. I, I sort of forget about the vagus nerve being the 10th cranial nerve. And can you explain how that's wrapped in with the 
facial nerves and the eye muscles to, to, to sure. involve language and consciousness? Sure, right. Hence the word polyvagal. It's, um, as Stephen Porges writes about in a study that for over 40 years, it sort of splits off into the upper part of a body and lower part. The lower part being the dorsal vagal, which tends to kind of facilitate, I'm sure we both have experienced this, is when we're stressed, we have like GI upsets and, um, and even diarrhea or stomach cramps and pain, back pain, lower extremities being impacted. And that would be the dorsal vagal, whereas the ventral vagal tends to pull. When, um, when I'm stressed, my kids know that I, I'm not smiling. And the ventral vagus basically pulls on those facial muscles. And, he could even, and, uh, and I could even hear a ringing in the ear called tinnitus, an old issue that I used to have. And, uh, and so it sort of communicates to me um, physiologically that there's threat or I'm stressed. And so what happens with the vagus nerve, which I found fascinating, is that the part of the nerve that goes, to, so I want to stop just for a second on the stomach and bladder issues, because mm -hmm. that's the autonomic nervous system. Mm -hmm. The vagus nerve senses, well, he points out that there's both sensory input coming into the vagus nerve and going out. So there's actually more of an afferent, we call afferent amount. So, right. <clears throat> so people talk about irritable bowel syndrome as being psychological. It's not. Mm -hmm. Right? It's not. It's that's the beauty part of it. You know, um, that's the beauty part of this is people feel that why can I? Why are the medications not working? And they can't find anything wrong with me. And this kind of creates a sense of shame and suffering. Right. And uh, it really sends. It adds. It's almost adding fuel to the fire when you really don't know the cause or have some solid evidence, thinking that you're weak and or your doctor is missing something. Right. So your entire body. So. Some of the stress responses also include decreasing the blood supply to the gut, stomach, bladder. Right. Increases the change of the vagus tone to the bowel and bladder. So hence mm -hmm. you get spastic bladder, irritable bowel, stomach cramps, all sorts of stuff that happens. And so, again, the medical profession has missed this. Again, going clear back to medical school, is that your body chemistry changes and you get physical symptoms. How is that psychological? Right. And that's it's not. that's the it's that's not. And that's why this polyvagal theory framework uh, by Stephen Porges has really helped many of my patients with trauma and pain and, and those without um, severe trauma really has realized that this is a physiological response. And it's not a psychological response. The psychological response comes in when we start to beat ourselves up for being angry or being in pain or being anxious. It's kind of like the after effect. Right. Is where the psychology comes to play. The other key issue to understand is that this physiologic, the, the unconscious part of the brain that keeps us alive, which is really fascinating to me, is that the, there's lots of different numbers, but the one that Dr. Bruce Lipton uses is that the unconscious brain processes about 20 million bits of information per second. The conscious brain processes 40. Yeah. It's 20 million to 40. So <laughs> my point is that anxiety is a gift. It's how every living creature evolved. The creatures that didn't pay attention to the danger signals didn't survive. It turns out that humans really are survival of the most anxious, really more than survival of the fittest. Because if you didn't pay attention to the external cues and respond in an appropriate manner, you simply didn't survive. And so Anxiety is just a sensation generated by the stress response, neurochemical stress response. The other term that just makes me crazy is called medically unexplained symptoms. Yes. Right? Yes, yes, I mean, yes. This makes no sense, right? 
<laughs> I love, I love, love working with those patients because it's the simplicity and the complexity of their complaints that there's healing. And um, having done this work for such a while, that it's uh, it's really so so rewarding to see patients get better and back to life. Absolutely. So, I've also had a fair number of patients. I think from uh-huh. experience where just by understanding this, all of a sudden their symptoms disappear. Have you noticed that? Yes, actually, I re- just um, a few weeks ago, I was working with someone with, um, uh, there we go again. So I'm smiling because medically unexplained symptoms was what was um, indicated. Patient had facial pain. And after the first visit, which I do a lot of polyvagal informed um, um, education, the patient emailed me and basically said that, hey, um, that I'm feeling less pain. And just to let you know, the patient provided me the uh, consent to be able to speak about this because he was, um, he or she was blown away by it. So, and what, and so what, so just educating her about uh, the process yeah, to solve the problem? Yes. Uh, this particular person is very, very intellectual and, and, um, in a position that requires a lot of critical thinking. And so he was basically saying is this is impossible. And I said, basically, and that's one of the things I want to inform patients today is basically when you, when you work this program of pain recovery, commit to it and carry a doubt in your pocket. And so after getting the polyvagal um, information on, on why his brain was doing what he's doing or his body was doing what he's doing, he started to, he or she started to experience um, a decrease in symptoms within a few days. And within two weeks start to feel completely See, I think the message that occurs in people's brains where you say, I can't explain your pain. So what's being implied is that the pain or the symptoms is imaginary. Well, diarrhea is not imaginary, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Right. So, not imaginary. I had tinnitus ringing in my ears for over 25 years. That's a horrible symptom. People commit suicide because of ringing in their ears. It drives, it's horrible, horrible symptom. Mine is gone. Yeah. So, I mean, what happens is you calm down the biochemistry, it slows down the nerve conduction. So the tinnitus is a hypersensitive set of nerves in the ears. That as you calm down the nervous system, even the tinnitus goes away. So you have all these physical symptoms, but when they say that when they say it's quote psychological, well, it implies that you're literally making the symptoms up, correct? Correct. And that's the part where I think step one in working with these patients, besides before even starting um, discussing them, discussing with them about modern pain science and uh, the steps to kind of be in recovery, I really spent some time after my first visit educating them as why things are happening in the body. So basically, when they leave my visit and or the first contact is, they should be able to answer why do they still hurt. Uh, and the part is why these symptoms are occurring, whether it's explained or not explained, is using the polyvagal informed information helps them feel less ashamed. That's one. Two, right. that the symptoms are real. And three, which this is a training I got during my residency and my fellowship was this, is just because you cannot see it or completely measure it does not mean it does not exist. Let's say migraine headaches. I mean, I've had migraine headaches Beautiful. since I was five years old. I mean... I'm vomiting. I'm seeing colors before my eyes. I can hardly move or breathe for about 12 to 24 hours. You can't yep. tell me that's imaginary, right? And right. every stuffer has the same story. 
so those are real physical disruptive symptoms. And people say, well, they're not stress related. Well, guess what? During my spine fellowship, I had them every three to five days. <laughs> which, so, which is, David, I mean, the, the fact that you experience them and I experience them, I think that's the part I was, I was mentioning in the first part of the interview is that to let the listeners know that sometimes when we go through this, we, it's helping me become a better provider. Right. I, I've learned so much from my patients. My patients have taught me that that's the best fellowship and training I've received uh, for my patients. They teach me to be more compassionate. They teach me to be able to find ways to kind of help structure their chaos and their pain. And uh, so with that said, it, you know, I, I don't want to neglect to mention this. The polyvagal theory really is important in talking to um, us about safety and, uh, and that can come across in many ways. Uh, safety is when you do playtime. Safety is when you actually connect with people that love and don't judge you. Say, uh, you know, safety is when you are actually following your heart's desire and passion versus old messages that we received from our inner crit critic and people that raised us. Okay. So it's really well, important to emphasize that part, safety. And let's take migraine headaches, for example. I have not had a migraine. I had one migraine a few months ago, but I, I used to have migraines every two to four weeks, bad ones. So mm -hmm. I've never really had migraines for almost 10 years. Huge difference. Huge. Wow. Okay. So, when, so the historic migraine treatment <clears throat> is to use different medications to cause vasoconstriction issues. There used to be injections and there was some legal tab tablets, et cetera, Maxalt, et cetera. So you're treating symptoms where the treatment is really to calm down the autonomic nervous system. Right. That's, that's the cause, and it's a solvable cause. And by understanding the polyvagal concepts, why you're able then to solve the root cause of the problem, which is calming down the autonomic nervous system response. And again, that's what's so fascinating. I mean, there's just the 90% of primary care visits are, quote, there's 14 primary care symptoms that are quote, medically unexplained symptoms. Everybody has them. Everybody is not lying about it. Right. People are right. really suffering. And so I think the terminology has been a problem because when we say psychological, people are applying imaginary and we're saying that consciousness creates the physiological changes. And that's the link that I think you and both I are really critical trying to get out to the different providers, whether it's psychologists, primary care surgeons, whoever, is that you have to help people regain control of their autonomic nervous system. And the way you do that is you learn to control your, your autonomic nervous system. You feel safe. You're not at the mercy of circumstances. You're not at the mercy of symptoms. You allow yourself to understand the cause of them, but you don't have right. to find the cause. You can actually just learn the tools and calm down the nervous system no matter what the cause is. That's yeah, the key. I'm I'm glad you mentioned that. One of the common things I have with many of my patients is that they work um, the program. So they work your four steps, they read the book, is, but they're not dealing with their life pressures. So one of the things that I do want the listeners to also realize is this is you could work the program like going to church or a temple, but you've got to really apply the tools. And here's what I mean by that is I've had many, many patients who have actually worked the program, really committed to being in pain recovery. However, they're not dealing with their life pressure, such as domestic violence at home, or um, and domestic violence does not have to be called uh, domestic violence for physical, but um, psychologically being controlled, being bullied at home, 
chaotic stress at home, that's considered domestic violence. My point here is this is if you've got a life problem like that, it requires treatment, not just the pain recovery program. If you've got a stressful job or you hate your job and or you have a four hour commute to work or a two hour commute, those are the those are the common sense problems as I mentioned in my patient, that needs to be addressed because that's the part that's activating the autonomic nervous system. What I find very sad, and I think you find the same thing, is that it is sad how much domestic abuse there is. I mean, why should that be? In other words, the parent's responsibility is to create a safe, nurturing environment so your brain can respond in a safe, nurturing way. And I think it's, I mean, the data says that 20% of men and 30 Two percent of women have been subjected to physical violence in the home. That's a lot. That's a lot. Yeah. Twenty per twenty percent of women will be raped in their lifetime. So it's really sad that adults behave in a way that they would never want their kids to act, and it's just sad. And again, when you're in that environment, if you go home and you're being abused, of course your body's going to be in a hyper vigilant state to protect yourself, and so your body chemistry is going to be in a sustained state of elevation. And that's why until you can actually work on either removing yourself from the environment or taking control of it so it's not safe, so it's now safe, once if your body chemistry is in a sustained, sustained state of elevated stress chemicals, that's a problem. I 100% agree with you. Yeah, and, and I think one of the things you, just to touch on what you just said about why, why we humans do what we do, it's because many of us, besides the neurophysiological explanation, I think from a psychological perspective or cultural perspective, we Americans are taught not to express our emotions because it's a sense of weakness. Right. I think it's crucial to recognize, um, to steal this um, analogy, is that is a lot of us are stuffing our emotions in a closet. And, um, and domestic violence, uh, again, I'm not just saying this is the only factor, but many of us who tend to explode or people who tend to not know how to regulate the emotions they they are emotionally stuffing and ultimately one day when something minor happens to them the closet um, basically busts through it's almost like the closet of emotions are trying to pick the lock and then it explodes upon them and the people around them tend to experience this violence Um, but long story short of that is basically when we can teach folks to be better regulated emotionally understand that um that when you have a physiological response, you do not have to act upon it. That right. takes training. And that's why, like I said, besides the polyvagal informed um, information, is learning to commit to a daily um, program that calms your autonomic nervous system, like a workout. Right. And you're correct. Again, you have this deep anger, anxiety, and by suppressing those emotions, it's a huge problem. I have a little mantra saying that no action in a reaction. So- right. You have to allow yourself to be angry. You have to allow yourself to be anxious. They are normal survival reactions and they're powerful and they're disturbing. And then they act, sometimes the behaviors you engage in trying to deal with these sensations are really, really destructive. And so you're right, it's just a learned skill that when you're triggered, anxious or upset, that it is part of life, it's necessary, it's not gonna go away. Anxiety is intended to be so unpleasant, it's a survival sensation that it compels you to take action to survive. It'll never be a pleasant right. sensation. So to try mm-hmm. and transmute anxiety into a pleasant sensation is a huge mistake. And I, what we're saying is that you train your brain to say, okay, I'm anxious, I'm frustrated. 
our recommendation is to take the word anxiety completely out of your vocabulary and just state, look, my stress chemicals are elevated. And the way right. I'm going to decrease my anxiety is simply decrease the stress chemicals. And then there's a multitude of ways of doing that. And then emotional support and talk therapy is helpful, but it does not in and, in and of itself decrease the stress chemicals. And Correct. so that's where the polyvagal approach is so critical is to um, actually use those tools to actually decrease the stress chemicals. Yeah. Dave, do you mind if I um, share something, a very specific intervention I teach um, some of my, um, I, I run several groups and I teach a specific skill um, related to pain regulation. Uh, autonomic regulation is um, uh, these mindfulness acceptance commitment therapy groups I, I teach and with my patients. Can I just share with you something called the three ends? Absolutely. Um, so just, just, just to piggyback on what you just said, when we're activated, we don't have to know why. We just need to ask, how do I need to relate to what just showed up? And here are the three ends. The first end is to notice, and I'll walk through the details of them shortly, if you don't mind. Yeah, and let's do that. The, the second end is to name. Okay. And, uh, and the third one is to nurture. And let me kind of pull out the details of each of these steps in just oh, a I few love, seconds here. I love it. So notice, and when I ask my patients, when you've been hooked by your brain or your mind, the first thing you want to do is notice what just showed up and knocked at your door as if someone came to your front door. And that's all you need to do is you're basically coming out of autopilot reactive mode into response mode is just drop in to your body like what just um, showed up and I tell my patients to do these two things when you have a mood shift and or tension in your body something just knocked at your door and you're being activated then you are to move into step two and that's that's basically step one is to notice and once your mood shifts and or something just knocked in your door it could be a past issue it could be you're feeling threatened about something it doesn't matter when something shows up, you have to actually fully notice that there was a mood shift and or tension. And I tell my patients, notice the muscles around your shoulders, your trapezius uh, or your back or tension around your face, and then drop into the second step, which is, which is name. The saying is name, you have to name to tame it. So research out of UCLA shows that when someone labels what is going on, your you know, parts of your brain actually tend to deactivate the stress response, the autonomic response system. And when you label your front part of your brain, your prefrontal cortex comes back online. Why is that important? It's kind of like having your Wi-Fi back online at home, which then allows you to have greater clarity. And therefore, that part of the brain is the wise part of the brain, as opposed to the emotional and animal brain that gets us drunk in our emotions and uh, reactivity. So that's the, that's the name part. You actually say would say something like this after you've noticed a mood shift, a tension shift in your body. The second step would be to say, is, so this is what anger feels like. Okay. So this is what you know, paralyzing pain feels like. You're basically calling to attention as something just showing up and I'm acknowledging and validating you. Okay. The third step is to simply ask yourself, in this present moment, not an hour from now, not two hours from now, in this present moment, in this present moment, what do I need? Want is luxury, need is necessity like air. What do I need and what do I need? Sometimes my patients will say, well, I need everyone to shut the hell up. And so I'll tell my patients besides that, what do you need to give yourself? It's not about the others, it's about yourself. And they'll say, I just need to feel safe. I just need a hug. 
then I'll tell them to place their hand, their palm underneath their um, armpit where to feel their heartbeat and then to hug themselves with the other hand and to hold tightly with a 10 count breath. And then nice. to ask themselves, the last step is how do I wish to be towards myself during this difficult moment? And how do I wish to treat others? And that's it. Wonderful. You know, I'm going to, you know, I, I blog for psychology today, but this is something I'd like to have you write up. I think this is an incredible sequence is notice, name, and nurture. And as you know, we discuss neuroplasticity a lot, which is awareness, separation, and reprogramming. So you're saying the notice, which is awareness, right? Then as you name it, you've now given yourself some space or the separation process. Mm -hmm. Then I think that nurture or play is always the ultimate solution to chronic pain because you, you optimize the body's chemistry. We've talked about this multiple times in both these podcasts. The essence of healing chronic pain is feeling safe. Yes. Optimizes your body's chemistry. It's not psychological. You simply optimize your body's chemistry because that's our basic drive as living creatures is to feel safe. So we yes. avoid threats and we gravitate towards rewards. And again, when you're raised in a chaotic household, you are not safe. And then you look at the rest of your life through those lens of always being threatened. And it's yeah. a problem. And, and you know, David, on, on that note is um, from a psychological perspective is there's this little child. Every time I look at an adult to that treat um, is that I see these little boys and girls inside of each of us. And that, that, that little child of a, needs that nurturing Right. needs that sense of safety. And so the nurture part is basically we're teaching our patients how to actually reparent themselves so they can actually feel safe again. Right. That's phenomenal. So let's just quickly review the podcast we just did. So we talked about how you use the polyvagal theory, explain it to your patients about when you feel these massive sensations in your body, part of the unconscious brain, that they don't have to feel bad or ashamed about it. It's just part of the survival mechanism, correct? Right, right, right. Then we discussed the polyvagal theory where the part of the vagal nerve goes to the organs below the diaphragm, the stomach, the bladder, et cetera. And then the other part goes to the facial muscles and upper part of the brain. And that's the vagus nerve in the autonomic nervous system, which affects the body's chemistry, all sorts of organ functions, and also your body's immune response. And then we talked about feeling safe on both podcasts. And then I just want you, if you just repeat those three ends again for us, I think those are phenomenal. Sure, I'd be more than happy to. So the three ends are basically my intervention for when the autonomic nervous system basically starts to dominate us. And so the three ends are as, as notice, a mood shift or attention shift in you, name to tame your brain. Okay. And three, nurture, asking yourself at this very moment, what do I need? And to use values driven choices such as, you know, how do I wish to relate to myself in this very difficult moment? And how do I wish to treat others in that right. same sense? <clears throat> well, I'm excited about these three ends. I mean, honestly, is that you and I both know that chronic pain is solvable, it's curable, mm -hmm. it's self-directed. And I think with those three ends, you really just put out the essence of the entire solution right there. You're literally changing your brain's circuitry to feel safe, which normalizes your body's chemistry, and the pain often disappears. In fact, it usually disappears. Correct. I'd like to make one final comment. This is not about believing or disbelieving. I mean, there's some sense that this, if this is quote psychological, it's like a religious experience. If I believe enough, I'm going to be healed, right? 
<laughs> right. <laughs> right. So this is more about being connected. So I say, look, if you don't believe, you know, you think David Hanscom is out of his mind, that's fine. You don't have to believe one word I said. It's more about connecting with what is. So if you think that Correct. I'm out of my mind and you want to say, well, I want to think positively. I don't want to think neg negatively about him. That's a problem. Yep. So expressing thoughts and emotion is a huge problem because it fires up the nervous system even more. So this is not about believing in the doc project, believing in less aria. It's about just connecting with what is, which means, which includes connecting with your negativity. That's part of all who we are. Yeah, right? absolutely, David. Absolutely. Because I think that's the, the most counterintuitive thing to do. As I tell my patients, I have the statement I tell them and they, they basically look at me wide eyed and short of saying as you're really crazy, lean into the pain, lean into the emotion, lean into what shows up right. and it will dissipate. Right. Well, this is a wonderful podcast. I would, um, of course, we could talk for a, probably a couple of days, right? <laughs> but I, I do, I do want to, I do want to have you back on because I do think that we could talk about the family issues a lot, the family dynamics around pain, which sure. is a huge deal. And uh, but this has been wonderful, and I really appreciate. Um, for me personally, it's nice to um, have your support and also your enthusiasm, and sort of keeps me fired up too, as you all know. So this has been great. So anyway, thank you very much for being on our show. Likewise, David, a pleasure as always. Well, I'd like to thank our guest, Les Aria, for being on the program today and for sharing his approach to treating chronic pain using the concepts of the polyvagal theory. I'm your host, Tom Masters, reminding you to be back next week for another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. And in the meantime, be sure to visit the website at www.backincontrol.com. Thanks for listening today and join us next week for Back in Control Radio.